I'd like you to open your Bibles this morning to Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. As I have been teaching both on Tuesday night and teaching on Sundays, we're leading up into the Stand Firm Conference, and the Lord has burdened my heart particularly on the topic of revival. And today what we're going to do, we're going to take a look at five fundamentals, five fundamentals of revival prayer. Five fundamentals of revival prayer. And we will be in the book of Nehemiah, and we're going to look at chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. 1 through 11. The book of Nehemiah, 1 through 11. Now before we jump into the text, I want to give you a little bit of background to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a personal diary, if you would, kept by Nehemiah. It's written about 445 B.C. Israel has been in captivity for 70 years at this point as a result of their rebelliousness. Remember that in 586 B.C., as the prophet Jeremiah and others had predicted, the Babylonians had swept down and laid waste to the entire city of Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, they laid waste to all of Judah. And as part of their uh, descent upon them, they took back the choicest and the best of Israel and brought them back into captivity. This is the time of Daniel, right? When Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach were all going back into captivity. And they remained in captivity for 70 years. The book of Nehemiah is also referred to as Ezra too, Because simultaneously, this is the time of Ezra the, uh, the scribe, as he records the Jews that were now allowed to leave and to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And there was great revival, by the way, under Ezra. As a matter of fact, you ever read the book of Ezra, you know how the revival occurred? By the preaching of the word of God. Ezra would stand and read from the, the scriptures, and the people would be there for eight hours with their hands raised up, receiving the word of God, and kept pleading with him, give us more, more. So Ezra is a contemporary of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is in captivity, right? After the Babylonians had taken the people, the, um, the Persians came in and conquered the Babylonians. And Nehemiah is a cupbearer for the Persian king, King Artaxerxes, right? And so as a cupbearer to a king, his job was, believe it or not, anything the king would taste would have to go through him. You know why, right? In case somebody wanted to poison the king, they get to poison Nehemiah instead. Also, as a cupbearer, that was a position of significant trust. The king trusted him. So Nehemiah, just like Esther and some of the others, get into this enviable position where they are influential upon the king, right? As a matter of fact, 
Nehemiah's stepmother was Esther. Rather interesting, right? And so Nehemiah is also chronologically one of the last Old Testament books to be written. Matter of fact, it's Nehemiah and Malachi that are the two last Old Testament books to be written. And then comes the 400 years of silence of the intertestamental period that is broken with the emergence of John the Baptist. So this is one of the last Old Testament books chronologically to be written, right? And one of the things we see from the book of Nehemiah is that revival will break out. Revival will break out. It's, it's short-lived, but it will break out. So what we're going to take a look at are the first 11 verses in Nehemiah. And in the first 11 verses, we are going to see five fundamental truths. These are five fundamentals of revival praying. In other words, you want to know how to pray for revival? Employ these five fundamentals. And we'll see it as we go through the text. Let's pick up from Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning with verse 2. Now it happened in the month of Chislev that in the 20th year, while I was in Susa, the capital, Hanani, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity about Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. Right away from the very beginning, we see one of the first fundamentals of revival prayer, and that is recognition of the circumstances, recognition of your circumstances. Nehemiah is as I mentioned to you, the king's cupbearer. And he has been in captivity, as I mentioned, due to the fall of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. But he hears about, he's talking to those who he inquired about, what happened to those who escaped the captivity? What happened to those that remained in Jerusalem? And the news is not good. Not good at all, right? He said, uh, I said, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. The gates are burned with fire. He had heard about how Jerusalem had been ransacked. And what's significant about Jerusalem? What's significant about Jerusalem, it is the city of God. And the Temple Mount Zion the dwelling place of God. It would have been inconceivable for an Israelite before 586 B.C. to think that an enemy could come and ransack the city of God and ransack the temple. Jerusalem was glorious. The temple with its white marble would shine from all over the place. And consequently, what they thought was the dwelling place of God had now been ransacked. It had now been absolutely destroyed. And the thought of Jerusalem in ruins breaks Nehemiah's heart. 
it breaks Nehemiah's heart. You know, Israel was in, was in captivity and subsequently judged because of their sin and their rebelliousness against God. God had caused Israel to, re, to repent time and time and time again. False prophets emerged. They were everywhere. And the Lord spoke through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 33, verses 2 and 3. Where the Lord says, Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it and established it. The Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. The call went out from the prophet to the people to call unto God, to turn away from their wickedness, to turn. And the people did not. They did not. Church, as we look out on the landscape of our nation, and we look out on the landscape of the church, I submit to you it is equally as bleak. Equally as bleak. Right? And the call goes out to the people of God. Call unto the Lord. Call unto the Lord. Call unto the Lord. But not many are calling out to the Lord. Not many. Nehemiah thought of the city of God and he thought about it as it was told to him being laid in ruin and it broke his heart. It absolutely broke his heart. We can sit and talk all day long about this nation and we can sit and talk all day long about the church in this nation but not many hearts are moved. Sometimes it's a very selfish thought. I got mine. You go get yours. Sometimes it's a very selfish thought that says, well, I believe all these things, therefore I am good. But do you look out on the landscape of America? Do you recognize the circumstances that we're living in? Do you look out at the landscape of the church and do you mourn? Do you realize how many churches are compromising and caving into the culture today? And we cannot have the attitude simply to say, oh, they're bad, we're good, we're holding. No, it should break our hearts as it broke Nehemiah's hearts. Do we recognize the first part of fun, first fundamental of revival prayer is recognize the circumstances? Do we recognize the circumstances? Listen, our Stand Firm conference is 11 days away. And part of the genesis that started for the Stand Firm Conference was indeed recognizing the landscape that we are living within. But I want to share something with you. Before we, as individuals, before we as a church can call upon the Lord, we as individuals must first call upon the Lord. We must, as individuals, make ourselves right before God. And we must seek the Lord with an urgency. With an urgency. So we see the first fundamental of, of revival prayer is recognizing the circumstances. Look at Nehemiah 1.4. 
Now it came about when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. We see that the first fundamental and revival prayer is recognition of the circumstances, and we come to the second fundamental which of revival praying, which is resolve, specifically a resolve to pray. One must resolve within themselves and with God to take action. To take action. And specifically, one must resolve to pray. You must resolve to pray. Nehemiah, after recognizing what had happened to Jerusalem, weeps and he cries for days. But listen to me. His sorrow did not remain there. It's not like he just felt bad and he cried and he, and, and, and he wept for days. What does the Word of God said? I was fasting and praying before God of heaven. There was a reaction. There was a response. It generated sorrow. But Nehemiah took the next step. He resolved to pray. And prayer is when we move the hand of God. Church, there's no revival, no revival, no revival without genuine, heartfelt, burdened prayer to the Lord. Listen, I am so thankful to God for those who attend our, our Wednesday night prayer meeting. And we meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. And some in this church have resolved, they have resolved to pray for our church, to pray for our church. And we come together, and they carry upon themselves the burden for the church to pray, to seek God. Lord, we want more. If I could kind of matter of fact sum up what is the net of our Wednesday night prayer meeting, it is, God, we want more. And we want more of your presence. And we want more of your spirit. And we want more of your word. And God, we want you to move in our midst. God, we want a genuine, authentic, spontaneous move of God. God, we're calling on to you for revival. I just summed up every Wednesday night prayer meeting we've ever had. It's not a laundry list of we need and I want and do this and do that, God. But rather it is coming to lay ourselves low before God, to praise the Lord, to exalt the Lord, to give Him all the glory, all of the honor that He deserves, and to cry out to God, God, send forth revival. That's what we pray. On Wednesday night we've been praying for the conference since June, since June of last year. And we pray for our church that, that God would do a work of awakening and revival in our church. What does the Word of God have to say about prayer? Ephesians 6, 18, we just did this in Sunday school this morning. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. I love that. 
So many times it's mentioned all the word, all with all prayer and petition. Give God the glory. Give God the praise. Give God the honor. But petition, supplicate, ask the Lord. And we're not asking for things that are going to cause us to prosper materially. We're asking for God to move in our midst so that the advancement of the gospel would go forth. Philippians 4, 6 says this, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. That's a verse I quote often to myself because it ends with, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. We're to be anxious for nothing. But the Apostle Paul says in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. We're going to come. We're going to come by prayer and praise. We're going to come with supplication. We're going to make our requests known to God. And when we make those requests known to God, we already proceed by giving God the thanks for what He's about to do. This week was a real week of trial. Al and I go back 38 years. 38 years we're friends. Needless to say, when I got the news, I was stirred inside my heart. And when you hear news such as this, you, your mind immediately races to the bad, doesn't it, right? We don't always go, oh boy, he's in the hospital. Watch, there's going to be such a great thing. No, we go immediately to the bad. And as I'm driving to the hospital and my mind is racing, and I could hear the voices of anxiety speak into my heart, what if this happens? What if that happens? I said to myself, Lord, I refuse. I refuse to allow fear, uncertainty, and doubt to come into my mind. Father, I pray that you're going to raise him from this bed. I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know how you're going to use it. But you're going to do it, Lord, I pray. And if it is your will not to, well, Lord, I'll deal with that when that comes. Right? I'll deal with that when that comes. But what did I do with prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving? I made my request known to God. Listen to me. Prayer is real. I hope you know that. Prayer is real. How real is it? Well, I'll tell you how real it is. Abraham prayed, and God himself provided the lamb. Moses prayed. And God revealed his glory to him and hid him in the cleft of the rock. Elijah prayed, and fire descended from heaven and consumed the altar. Gideon prayed, and he delivered Israel against an army of 10,000 with 330 men. David prayed, and he slew Goliath the giant. Daniel prayed, and he shut the mouth of the lions. The apostles prayed, and they received the promise of the Holy Spirit. Peter and John prayed, and the place where they met was shaken. The apostle Paul prayed, and the prison doors flew open while he was in Philippi. Martin Luther prayed, and the Reformation exploded, and the church came out of the Dark Ages. John Wesley prayed, and the Holy Spirit descended upon their prayer meeting. 
every great revival, every great revival, every great move of God began with people resolve to pray and to seek the Lord. It is always, it is always a small group of people who are resolved, they are resolved to seek the Lord through prayer. And God answers those who are determined to call upon Him and to call upon Him in faith. Prayer is for real. Look at Nehemiah verses 5 and 6. 1, 5 and 6. And I said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, great and awesome God, who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open to hear the prayer of thy servant, which I am praying before thee now. Day and night on behalf of the sons of Israel, thy servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, I and my father's house have sinned. We have seen the first two fundamentals, right? Recognizing the circumstances and resolving to pray. Now we see the third fundamental, and that is to remember the Lord. To remember His greatness, His holiness, His commandments, His promises. Notice in Nehemiah 5, Nehemiah addresses God. I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, great and awesome God, who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love Him and keep His commandments. I want you to notice this. I really want you to notice this. Note how Nehemiah addresses the Lord. I want you to see this. O Lord Yahweh, O Lord Yahweh, God of heaven, great and awesome God. He is not casual at all in his approach to God. He remembers whom he is praying to. He is praying to the living God, the holy God, the righteous God, the glorious God. Lord forbid that we should come into the presence of God and we should come in a casual, inattentive manner. And that we would come with no passion for God. No urgency in our souls. Let me share something. Casual, ritualistic, slothful prayer is insulting to a holy and a righteous God. Even the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, when He prayed, how did He pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. The only thing worse to casual, indifferent, slothful, lazy prayer is no prayer at all. No prayer at all. Church, let me share something with you. The fuel of the Christian life is prayer. You hear me? You can have all the Bible knowledge that you can consume. 
You can come to every single church service. You can help every old lady cross the street. You could do every kind of good deed. The fuel of the Christian life is prayer. The fuel of the Christian life is prayer because it is relational between you and God. You don't pray, you don't have a relationship. You might be able to quote chapter and verse. And let me tell you something, I have seen it my entire life. People who know the Bible, people who could argue everything, people could argue this, they argue that point, they know the theology, and yet their hearts are so far from God. What do you see in them? You see pride. You see arrogance. You see people looking just for a fight to show everybody just how much they know. But some of these people wouldn't recognize the Holy Spirit if he came up to them and punched them in the face. The fuel of Christianity is the Spirit. And it is through prayer. It is through prayer that we come into this place where we recognize God for who He is. We cannot be casual. We cannot be slothful. When we come together as a church to pray and we do the pastoral prayer, if you're falling asleep or thinking about what you're going to have for lunch after church is over, you got a spiritual problem, brother or sister. We get an opportunity to come before the holy living God. Do you ever think about that? Even when you're in your home, even if you had your morning devotion, and now you turn to the Lord in prayer, do you recognize, do you realize that you are entering the throne room of Almighty God, the living God, the God that knows the secret thoughts of the heart, the God that knows every single intent and thought that you ever had? Is He not worthy to give Him praise to give Him glory, to give Him honor, to give Him respect. I've heard Christians refer to the man upstairs. That's blasphemy. Can we just call it what it is? That's blasphemy. The big guy above. J.C. Oh, I was talking to J.C. the other day. J.C. Wait till J.C. drops the hammer on you. <laughs> Nehemiah knew who he was praying to. I love it. Oh, Lord God of heaven, great and awesome God. Listen, in exalting God, you know what that does? When we exalt God, we humble ourselves. When God is lifted up, when God is exalted, when God is praised, we are humbled. And when we recognize His worth, we also understand our undeserving position. Note Nehemiah's words when he says, great and awesome God. Great and awesome God. Listen, God deserves His praise. He deserves His praise. And you know what? As believers, we're obligated to give it to Him. Listen to the Word of God. Psalm 712. 
I will give thanks to the Lord according to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Why do we sing in a church service? Because we sing praise to the Lord God Most High. Psalm 33, 1. Sing for joy for the Lord, you righteous ones. Praise is becoming of the righteous. Psalm 96, 6. Worship the Lord in holy attire and tremble before him all the earth. God is worthy of his worship. And church, here's another important point for us to consider. God does not exist for us. We exist for Him. And our God is worthy to be praised. And in praising our God, we remember who He is. We can trust in the person of God. We can have faith because we know of His attributes, His holiness, His righteousness, His justice, His mercy, His forbearance. His forgiveness and loving kindness, His salvation and His goodness and His grace. We remember the Lord and His great acts as we pray for revival. And could I say something? I just want to say something here. For weeks I've been talking about revival, right? I want to make a point. I don't talk about revival because it's something theologically you need to talk about. Okay? When I talk about revival, I am talking about a genuine move of God, and I have an expectation that God is going to do this for the glory of His name. So I'm talking about something that I am anticipating is going to happen. Not because Christians talk about revival. And I'm certainly not talking about jumping up and down and all the hoot nanny and all the other different stuff. I'm talking about open repentance, open uh, God extending His hand to save, people being delivered from, from the bondage of sin, people, the brokenhearted, being bound up by the move of the Holy Spirit. Listen, the same God of the Reformation is the same God of today. The same God of the Great Awakening is the same God we worship today. The same God of the New York City revivals of the 1850s is the same God of today. The same God of the revival on the Isle of Lewis in 1940 is the same God today. The great and holy God, the awesome God, is the God that we serve. And we cannot be slothful in front of Him. Nor should we blatantly sin in front of Him. But like the psalmist says, we must come to the Lord in holy attire, in light of who He is. And I'm believing God for that great awakening, Him. That great awakening. And I desire more than anything, more than anything, to see the glory of Christ fill the church once again. Look at Nehemiah verses, uh, one, chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Nehemiah continues, We have acted very corruptly against thee, and have not kept thy commandments nor thy statutes, nor the ordinances which thou didst command thy servant Moses. 
Remember the word which thou didst command thy servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there, and I will bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. So we have seen three fundamentals of revival. Praying, recognizing the circumstances, resolving to pray, remembering the Lord and praying, and now we come to the fourth fundamental, and this is a critical one. Repentance of sin. Repentance of sin. Now listen, repentance is not confession. Can we agree to that? Repentance is not confession. But repentance involves a turning from sin and a turning to God. It's a, a 180. You're heading north, you turn around, you head south. Right? I like to say, to simplify it, that repentance is an outward manifestation of an inward act caused by God. God acts internal, internally within the person, convicts them of sin. Consequently, what happens is an outward manifestation of that inward act, usually accompanied by tears, but definitely accompanied by a turning away, a turning away from those sins. And we must recognize our sinfulness before a holy and righteous God, and we must turn away from it. All revival praying, all revival praying involves repentance. And there will be no revival without repentance. And when revival does come, we will see open repentance, meaning we will see people not worried about what people are going to think, being able to come to God and say, I have to turn to the Lord. I, I've been living wrong. Now, I believe we're going to see that during our conference. I believe we're going to see open repentance. I believe we're going to see weeping and mourning over sin at our conference. As a matter of fact, we've already planned for it by having a prayer support team to come forward and be able to help people through this. Now, you might say to me, Pastor, you might say, there's no unrepentant sin in my life. I've confessed my sin to the Lord. That may be the case. That may be the case. But like Nehemiah, we need not only to repent for our personal sins, but we need to repent for the church's sins, and we need to repent for the church in America's sins, and we need to repent for the sins of our nation. We need to repent for the sins of our nation. Listen to the words of Nehemiah. Look at what he says here. We have acted very corruptly. Who's the we? He's talking about the entire nation of Israel. He's not talking about himself. He equates himself with his people. Look what he says. We have acted very corruptly against thee and have not kept thy commandments nor the statutes, nor the ordinances with thou, which thou didst command thy servant Moses. You know what he's referring to? He's referring to Deuteronomy chapter 28. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, Moses writes, If you do these things, if you honor the Lord, here are all the blessings that are going to follow you. 
But in Deuteronomy chapter 28, Moses said, if you dishonor the Lord, here are all the curses that are going to follow you. And you know what one of the curses was? Scattering the people and taking them into captivity. Notice that Nehemiah recognizes we as a people have not. And what does he do? He rep repents on behalf of Israel. This is very similar to Daniel's prayer in Daniel chapter 9. This is in Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, verses 5 and 6. This is Daniel praying now. We have sinned and committed iniquity and acted wickedly and rebelled, even turning aside from thy commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to thy servants, the prophets, who spoke thy name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Now, don't you agree? Don't you agree that when we look out on the landscape of our nation, that our nation is in a horrendous state of sin and rebelliousness before God? Do you not see the churches succumbing to the culture? Hey, we don't have to look very far. A few miles down. It's all happening. There is a general lack of passion for God. And there's a general lack for the hunger of His presence. Listen. So many seem so content with a knowledge of God, but they know not the person of God. And their lives, that knowledge of God, you know what it doesn't do? It does not translate to power nor passion for God. And if that's the case, that's nothing but stale religious orthodoxy. Listen to the prophet Isaiah, what he wrote about this to the people of Israel. In Isaiah, oops, I'm sorry, I lost my spot. Forgive me, I had the wrong context. Listen to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ to the church at Ephesus. Ephesus. You know Church of Ephesus, right? Book of Ephesians. Ephesus, whose pastors were the Apostle John, Timothy, Polycarp. I mean, their pastoral stock was an all-star team. It's Ephesus that the Lord writes to. And says, look, I see all your work. You put apostles to test that aren't, you know, you're holding firm to the doctrine. You're doing all these other different things. But I have this against you. You lost your first love. Listen to the word of the Lord in Revelations 2.5 that he tells the church at Ephesus. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent. Do the deeds you did first, or else I'm coming to you, and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. 
That was a good church. We would consider that an all-star church today. Whoever was the pastor, he would be on YouTube all over the place in this current day. And yet they had lost their first love. So repentance is the fourth most important fundamental. Look at Nehemiah 1, verses 10 and 11. Nehemiah continues, And they are thy servant, thy people, whom thou didst redeem by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, may thy ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and the prayer of thy servants who delight to revere thy name and make thy servants successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Now I was a cupbearer to the king. So we have seen four to five fundamentals. Once again, recognize the circumstances. Two, resolve to pray. Three, remember the Lord. Four, repent over sins. And now the fifth and final fundamental is request. Request for revival. And we are to request that God revive His church and that God brings revival individually and corporately. Notice Nehemiah's words, O Lord, I beseech thee, may thy ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and the prayer of thy servants who delight to revere thy name. Nehemiah is praying to ask King Xerxes for permission to go to Jerusalem and begin the restoration of Jerusalem. And he is driven to bring the glory back to God. He is going in to request of the king and request of God for this monumental, monumental task. Bear in mind that as the cupbearer to the king, he had a very, very good position, a confidential position. But he was in a unique situation. You know why? Because the king could have said no. Or the king should have said, how dare you? Off with your head, go find me another cupbearer. This wasn't a layup. This wasn't, hey, I'm going to go to the king. The king's going to go, okay, I'm going to give you a few weeks off. Go ahead, go take care of business. He didn't know what to expect. But because he was driven for the glory of God, he said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to ask. Nehemiah is faithful to the fifth fundamental, which is to request of God. To request of God. Church, we need to request of God that He would send revival and awakening to the church. Not merely to our church, but to all Bible-believing churches that are out there. That God will send revival. And we must be persistent in asking we must ask in faith. Faith in what? We've done this over the last few weeks. Faith in the plan. Faith in the purpose. Faith in the person of God. We must entrust ourselves to Him. Second Chronicles 7.14 I'm sure you all know this, right? Second Chronicles 7.14 And my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and will hear their land. And we make plaques of that, and we make cups of that, and we do everything else. Everybody knows that except what preceded that and what followed that. What preceded that? 
That was the coronation. That was God commemorating the temple. And God speaks to Solomon on behalf of the people. And he tells Solomon, listen, here's what I have in store. If my people... Now this doesn't apply to America. I hope you know this, right? If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. There's a biblical principle in this that we as the church are the people of God. So these truths could be applicable to us. But the word of the Lord is for God's people. And the Lord gave his word to Solomon to warn him. He's warning Solomon of the requirement of the people to be faithful to God and observe all that the Lord commands. The Lord would go on to say this, if the people are repentant and are seeking God's face, then there is a reward. 2 Chronicles 7, 15. Now my eyes shall be open and my ears attentive to the prayer. In other words, if the people are humble before God, if the people are repentant before God, if the people are crying out to God, if their hearts are right, if it's all good, then God's ears are open to their prayers and His eyes are open to their deeds. And He will be attentive. You know why so many Christians live defeated lives? You know why so many Christians are so downcast perpetually? It's because they're not praying and they're not crying out to the Lord, and they need to get right with God. That's not a statement. I'm not judging anybody here. I'm just telling you the truth. That's been the truth when it's been in my life. This is why it is a fundamental of revival praying. This is why repentance comes, but once we repent, we want to ask of God. What are we doing with this Stand Firm Conference? We're coming together as one, People from all over, we're coming together as one to call out to the Lord as one. Lord, here we are. We live in a day of cultural chaos. Lord, we live in a day of eminent threats. Lord, we are here. We're still your church is here. We cry out to you, Lord. Cleanse us. Wash us in the blood of Jesus. Use us for your glory. But Lord, above all things, cause us to stand firm. Cause us not to equivocate. We seek you, God. We call out to you, God. We ask you, do great and mighty things that we know not. Revive your church. And as I say time and time again, why not us? And why not now? And you know what? I'm going to burden the Lord with that. I have been burning, burdening the Lord with that. I have been in. I'm not preaching me. Forgive me. I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to talk about me. What I want to talk about is this: we, a collective. You think God sits in the throne of heaven and He looks down at Calvary? He goes, "Okay, let's do a head count: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight. Do you think He does that? And he goes, okay, they have a request, but the church down the block has 4,000 people. They have a request, so you know what? I can only do so much. I'm going to give it to the people with 4,000. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro on the earth looking for what? 
looking for those who call upon the Lord in righteousness and truth. What is true in the Word of God, what is true in the day of Nehemiah, is true of us today. Call unto me, the Lord says in Jeremiah 33, and I will answer you. The psalmist says in Psalm 34, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard and delivered me from all my troubles. The psalmist in Psalm 73 says this, Whom have I in heaven, Lord, but you? And on earth there's nothing I desire. My heart and my strength, many, many, many times they fail. But you, O oh God, God, you are the strength of my heart. And you are my portion. He goes on in verse 28 of Psalm 20, uh, 73 and he says this, The nearness of my God is my strength. How near is God to you? How strong is your resolve to pray? Do you recognize the circumstances around you? Do you recognize the circumstances surrounding our church? Do you recognize the circumstances of the church in America? Do you recognize the circumstances of our nation? Sin is abounding on every front. What will your decision be? Will you stand firm in Christ? So today we learned the five fundamentals, I'll say it for the last time, of revival praying. Recognize the circumstances. Resolve to pray. Remember the Lord. Repent from sin and request of God. And we need to turn from our ways and cry out to God for a move of His Spirit. We need to pray. And if we don't ask, we shouldn't expect an answer. Remember the Lord in Matthew 7, 7, Ask and it shall be given to you. Knock and the door will be opened. Seek and ye shall find. And if you've been on Bible study, you know I pre I've taught this a million times, that the word in the Greek is actual, a continual movement. So it's keep on asking, keep on knocking, keep on seeking. And the Lord makes a promise to the one who asked, it will be given to him. To the one who knocks, the door is going to be open. The one who seeks, he's going to find. But it involves a persistence. Today, as I've done before, I beg you, honestly, I beg us to turn to the Lord and to forsake all things. Let us go to the Lord in prayer.